AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. Corn is now slightly lower on the week. HRW wheat is still modestly higher, and beans are holding on to solid gains for the week. Livestock futures saw light trade heading into the end of the week, and cotton futures are now sharply higher on the week after a third consecutive limit-up close. Live with science enriched by expert research and well-reasoned logic via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk This Afternoon. We'll talk with Andrew Jackson of Producers Hedge. Right after the news, Oliver Slope from Blue Line Futures. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson. Now here's the host of AgriTalk, Chip Flory. All right, Davis. Hey, thank you so much. Glad that you are with us this afternoon. We've got a lot of ground to cover. We're going to talk a little bit about specialty crop markets with Andrew. Okay. I haven't done that for a long time. The identity preserve market and exactly what's going on. But Andrew is over in Kentucky, that area that there, and I shouldn't say that area where there is still specialty crop production. It's mm-hmm. scattered all across the Midwest, but I know that Andrew's got some expertise in it. So we're going to dig into that. Of course, we're going to talk about what's going on in the barge markets, cash markets of the Eastern Belt and the demand in the Southeast part of the country. Should be really interested in getting, um, interesting in getting Andrew's take on what's going on out there. And Andrew comes on Crop Tour. I want to see what he thinks about crop expectations going into next week's crop production and supply and demand reports. How you doing, buddy? Everything good? Everything is so good. So great. Great. Yeah, it's just a great day. Great day here. The sun is shining. Uh, A little windy. A little windy. It's windy here. A little cloudy. We got Mm -hmm. the rain coming, baby. Yeah, we do. We got the rain coming. Yep, we sure do. Um, It's definitely blowing something in here. No doubt about that. And tomorrow, you know it. I'm I'm sure that you probably already heard it. But Mm -hmm. there are wide areas of the Midwest that need to be, uh, you know, keep an eye on the sky because there is the potential for some severe weather out there tomorrow carrying over into tomorrow night. And across the south, across the south, it looks like things could get really, really sketchy tomorrow afternoon, evening. So, boy, be aware. Be aware of what is going on. How far south? Uh, Gulf Coast. Okay. Careful yeah. down there. Careful down there. Yeah, be, yeah. Even south of you. Okay. That's pretty far south, dude. That's pretty far <laughs> south. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Let's get to the news. What do you got, buddy? Chip, export sales of wheat in the weekend at October 27 totaled just over 348,000 metric tons. That was in line with trade expectations. South Korea, Indonesia, and Mexico topped the list of buyers. December HRW wheat futures filled Monday's upside price gap, then generated enough interest to buy the dip to work prices back to the upside, even with the U.S. dollar index trading more than 1,500 points higher. The update to the U.S. drought monitor served as a reminder that this week's potential rains will not be drought breakers needed in the central and southern plains. December hard red winter wheat futures today, a penny higher, 941 and one quarter. December soft red wheat slipped five and a half cents to 840 and one half. 
December spring wheat closed at 943. That's down six and one quarter cents, Chip. Filled the gap, bought the dip. I haven't seen that in many of the commodity markets for a while. So that was an impressive move in the HRW contract today. Filled the gap and bought the dip, and now I'm on the air with a guy named Chip. Corn export sales of 372,000 metric tons were at the low end of trade expectations. Mexico and Japan topping the list of buyers. Russia's apparent willingness to stick with the Ukraine grain export deal at least until the middle of the month also erased some buying interest from corn futures. The Stonex Group sees a U.S. corn crop of 14.109 billion bushels. Chip, that's up about 50 million bushels from October. December corn futures posted a high-range open and a low-range close near the bottom of the three-week-long sideways trading range. December corn futures eight and one quarter cents lower, six seventy-nine and one quarter. March corn down eight cents, six eighty-four and three quarters. July corn futures closed at six seventy-niner and one half down, seven and one quarter. Yeah, sharply sideways in the corn market for now. We'll see what Andrew thinks about what that means for us going forward. Soybean export sales weekend at October 27, just over 830,000 metric tons, low end of trade expectations. China easily topped the list of buyers, but Spain, the Netherlands, Germany, and Japan were also on the list. Dry conditions in Argentina and far southern Brazil, uh, but conditions in the heart of Brazil's bean country are reportedly very good. The Stonex Group estimates the U.S. bean crop at 4.413 billion bushels, down about 30 million bushels from its October estimate. January soybeans posted the first lower close since November 24. Chart watchers expect resistance around the 1450 level with support layered just under 1425. Jan beans 17 and one half lower, 1437. March beans fell 17 and one half cents, 1444. July soybeans closed at 1454, down 17 and three quarters cents. November 24 can't be right. We haven't been there yet. No. What was I thinking when I put November? Did I mean October? I think so, yes. I think so, yeah. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, October 24. That would be exactly right. We haven't been. Sorry. I've Do you know something crossed. that we don't know about what's going to happen on November 24th? <laughs> it was anyway, foretold. Yes. Yeah, what I, <laughs> what I was going to say <laughs> is December bean oil, just 30 points lower today, still above 75 cents, and that's with, with crude oil futures more than a buck and a half lower. Mm -hmm. So that bean oil contract really holding in there quite nicely, that's got to be providing some spillover support for that bean market, even though we were 15, 17 cents lower today. Um, uh, Sooner or later, sooner or later, the commodity markets, the ag markets are going to hook back up with the energy markets, and, and we'll see what that means for us going forward. We'll finish up the news when uh, when we come back with Indeed. the next segment, because I want to get to Oliver Slope Blue Line Futures. How you doing, Oliver? I'm I'm doing good. I've got to say that uh, that little jingle that Davis had about buying the dip and being a, on a show with Chip was pretty impressive. We got to get yes. him on one of those singing shows and share the talents with the world. Dude, I've been trying to get him to do it for like <laughs> since day one, Oliver, and and for some reason he doesn't want to do it. I don't get it. Well, put put my it. name on the petition. Gotcha. We'll do. We'll do. Which uh, do you like any of these markets in here? Uh, corn's a, a dead duck still, so not not a whole lot to talk about there. Cattle, I think, was was my bright spot today. Okay. Uh, we we had disappointing export sales this morning. We had the outside markets rolling over yesterday afternoon after livestock markets closed. 
And then again, an additional pressure in the early morning trade. And I, I kind of wrote in our daily commentary this morning that, you know, we, we like trusting the technical levels as a buy here, but I mean, with the outside markets rolling over the way they are disappointing exports, I thought that we might actually break below 151, which may have triggered some additional long liquidation, but they held really well. So I'm, I'm pretty darn impressed with how live cattle traded today. That, that was you know, my, if we uh, can, if we can find a way to get a little bit of strength or even the hint of a, some strength in the cash market tomorrow, I think that's going to bode pretty well for futures, isn't it? I, I would tend to agree. I, I think there's still a little bit more upside here. So yeah. I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic, but uh, also tempering the expectations a little bit. So we'll, uh, we'll see how it plays out, but still pretty upbeat on the cattle complex. Yep. Can you believe that Dusty Baker managed a pitching staff to a collective no-hitter in the World Series? Uh, unbelievable. unbelievable. I could not believe that. <laughs> After what I saw him do to the Cubs pitching years ago, and then I he know does it. that? I know it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Just crazy. Thanks, man. We'll Take talk care. to you next week. Oliver Slope, Blue Line Futures. Okay, when we come back, Andrew Jackson, Producer's Edge, right here on AgriTalk. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. The best talkers in ag, including you. Join the conversation on AgriTalk. Call us at 855-4-TALK-AG. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm your host, Chip Flory. We're going to get to a conversation with Andrew Jackson just as soon as Davis burns down the rest of the news. Well, Chip, export sales of cotton totaled at nearly 192,000 running bales. That was strong enough to keep the short covering in nearby cotton futures. Moving forward, December cotton, 400 points higher, 83 cents on the nose. On the livestock side, December live cattle opened lower on lackluster export sales of just 9,200 tons. After testing support at 151, December cattle reversed to close near session highs December cattle 55 cents higher, 151.95. April fats down 20 cents, 158.30. January feeder futures down 57 and one half to one, 79.42 and a half. And on the snout side, chip pork export sales of nearly 48,000 metric tons were outstanding. Mexico topped the list of buyers at nearly 13,000 tons, but China was second on the list with purchases of more than 11,000 metric tons. December hogs opened nearly steady rallied to solid gains, then returned to close near session lows. December hogs, seven and one half cents higher, 83.37 and one half. April hogs, a dime lower, 
92.55. That's a hard-fought seven and one-half cents, Chip. Yes, yeah, no doubt about it. China was showing up on some of the other lists, too. We didn't mention it, but they were there on corn, just a cargo, mm-hmm. just a cargo. But still, I mean, there it was. Um, we talked about that they were on the list in soybeans. Now, that 745,000 tons that they bought included mm-hmm. more than 400,000 metric tons switched from unknown destinations. Ooh. But, yeah, they kept showing up. They kept showing up. So interesting that, that they're there. Were they there on the beef buys? Japan the Beef buys were pretty light. But Japan is on the list, South Korea, Taiwan, Canada, Mexico, uh, offset by a reduction for China. They oh, lost 900 metric tons. So, all right, let's get him in here. Andrew Jackson, Producers Hedge. Andrew, it's good to talk with you again, man. How are you? Doing great. Good. Thanks for having me back. Glad that you are here. How'd things wrap up for you down there in the southeast Corn Belt? Well, we're still kind of wrapping up. Uh, you know, in Kentucky, our harvest not only moves south to uh, south north, but we kind of go west east too. So the central eastern part of the state still got a ways to go, but the uh, western part of the state's about finished up on corn, just in the short rows, if any, left. And uh, beans are about wrapped up there too. Still, still a few to go here though over in the east. Okay. Overall, though, I would say yields uh, yields is a little better than expected. Uh, I think the earliest corn, um, earliest corn, and real early beans, or I'm sorry, the late beans, we kind of got dry late again. Yeah. Uh, but the earliest corn kind of took a hit. Uh, but later planted corn, and as again, you go kind of south to north and uh, and to the east, uh, corn was you know maybe better than expected. And personally, I kind of said this on uh, social media, but I think the USDA may be a little little light on Kentucky corn yield. Okay. All right, yeah, we had uh, Luke Beckman from um, Central Valley Ag on earlier this week out in northeast Nebraska, and he's saying that, well, you know what, maybe they're a little too heavy on Nebraska yet, so who knows, maybe those two things kind of balance out when we get the crop production report next week. That corn that is harvested in in your area there, Kentucky, Tennessee, well, uh, there's a chunk of it that stays home and is used for uh, bourbon production for whiskey production, but the where where does the bulk of it go? Does it head to the southeast to the broilers and hogs? Yeah, so traditionally the river has always been a strong pull. Uh, okay. You know, it's been it's you know this has been one of those uh, years where the river hasn't probably bought as many bushels. And if you've paid attention to Ohio River basis or really any basis levels because of barge freight, it didn't need to go there this year. Uh, so you know, there's been strong demand to the south. And, you know, if you had wheels and could get it moved, that's where the corn needed to go. Yes, to the south, into Tennessee, into Georgia. Okay. Talk to me about that river basis. I've, you know, I remember the low water period of 2012, but it seems like the timing was a little bit different because here it's hitting us right when we need to be moving. You know, from my perspective up here in northeast Iowa, I would love to be seeing barge load of beans after beans after beans after beans going down the river obviously it it's happening but it's not happening to the degree that we would like to what kind of an impact is the low water having on on your markets well i mean it's huge and for those that uh maybe aren't real familiar with the barge market well you know, when you've got low water you can only sink a barge so far you don't want it you don't want the drag right you got to be able to push it through so that it re- that reduces the amount of cargo it can carry. So it takes more barges to carry to move the same amount of product. So it makes yes. freight tight. Uh, and when freight is traded, just like any other commodity, uh, when freight gets tight, 
it gets expensive. So that starts beating up on the interior basis. And so, for example, when I was when I was managing elevators during fall, if you were buying Ohio River barge freight at 750 percent of tariff, you felt like you were really just getting dragged over the coals and you just wanted to shut her down. Um, and this year, I think the high on the Ohio River was uh, was right at 3000 percent. So the amount of freight, uh, the, amount, the amount of dollars it took to get a bushel of soybeans or corn to the Gulf, you know, quadrupled from the normal uh, seasonal high. And yeah, we had seen barge freight trade a thousand percent, eleven hundred percent before, but still this was this was uncharted territory. And again, for those who aren't familiar with, with don't you know trading in percentages of tariff, that's kind of a foreign language, but just a standard rule of thumb, a hundred percent is equal a hundred percent equal to about uh, is equal to about a dime. So when we're talking about trading a thousand, two thousand percent higher, we're talking, you know, a dollar, two dollars excess freight. Hence, you know, basis being a buck fifty under. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, is this redirecting the flow of of corn this year? Uh, I think so. So, I mean, w- one thing this has done. I've had more conversations this year uh, with producers who are saying, "I'm just shutting down the combine. I'm not. I'm not shelling any more corn." Uh, now it seems like those same producers just they, they they moved the beans when they had to, and the beans were ready. They went after them, but on corn they were more willing to let them stand. Uh, they were also more willing to find alternative ways to store grain, uh, whether it be uh, whether it be bags, uh, grain bags have gotten to be very popular, and they've been picking up in popularity over the last few years. But but very popular this year. Uh, a lot of people going into old bins uh, that they normally wouldn't go to. You know that uh, you know maybe are a pain to get into or, or whatever. Uh, so people are getting a little creative and uh, and finding ways uh, finding ways to make things happen and shipping uh, and trying to get ahead of the shipments. You know, a lot of times people wait until the bins are full and then they ship what they've got. Well, they know that if you're having to meter it out by truck heading south, that stuff doesn't move fast. So, you know, hey, if we're gonna have to, if we know we're gonna have to move twenty thousand bushels, let's not wait until the bins are full to move twenty thousand bushels. Let's let's get ahead of it. And and if if that means we're only shipping five thousand bushels a week, then you know, let's be ready when it's there. Okay, what about on the other side of it? If you're needing coverage of corn going forward, what should your attitude be? I mean, I if if I was buying corn, I think my first atti- my first reaction would be, "Hey, we can't hang around 680 forever." But <laughs> I don't I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we can. Uh, I think we uh, seems like we traded. I mean, we traded a 20 cent range for the last month, a uh, 40 yeah. cent range for the last two months. It's been a been a real dead market to be as elevated as we are. Uh, kind of all, I'm afraid it's maybe lulling us to sleep, but, um, you know, it, it depends on where you are, right. And, and, and depending on what your strategy is, some, some mills, some processors, some are hedgers, some are, are not. So, you know, it's, there's a million different ways you can do this, but here's, here's what I think we're seeing. And this is my opinion. Uh, but typically in years where we've got a short crop, uh, in, in Kentucky, it was really feared that we were going to have a real short crop. And don't get me wrong. We're way off where we've been the last two years, but I think most growers have been pleasantly surprised. Uh, especially okay. with the corn yield this year, I think that I think what we're seeing is end users have you know gotten real serious about getting getting coverage early, um, and I think that you know when I, I think that there's a good chance that by the time we get to JFM, I think there's some end users and processes that are going to be full because I'm already starting to see that a little bit, um, and so they're getting ahead of it because they've been burned in the past. They don't want to be caught you know having to import corn into Kentucky because this isn't the area you want to be 
importing corn, especially when transportation <laughs> is as, as tough as it is right now. Um, so that's kind of what I think we're seeing from a basis perspective. Um, another reason why maybe I'm not super bullish basis in this area, remember, look, basis is local, right, um, is because we just talked about the river, right? We just talked about how people were getting creative with storage, you know, whether it be ground piles or bags or whatever. Those quantities are going to have to move at some point, and those aren't meant to stay down forever. So I think that as soon as the carries do kind of start to exit the market, maybe barge freight improves just a little bit. Um, I mean, you can forward sell. I mean, I think there's like a 70 cent carry between the spot bid and the December bid right now in corn at uh, most Ohio River elevators. So I think it makes sense. I think in December, you're really going to start seeing a lot of that temporary storage start to move. And it's probably going to cap our basis just a little bit, in my opinion. Okay. That's good perspective right there, Andrew. Um, Holy smokes, the music is playing already. Okay, we are in the middle of a conversation with Andrew Jackson, Producers Hedge. Um, Andrew, when we come back, I want to talk about the specialty markets. You made note of that in in some comments before the show. I want to get your take on what's happening there. And then let's talk about what to expect out of uh, next week's USDA reports. We've got Andrew Jackson, Producers Hedge, right here on Agritalk. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. Time now for news of note from Pro Farmer. The Kremlin said today it has not committed to extending the deal allowing Ukrainian grain exports, saying it still needs to assess whether or not the deal is working. Stonex raised its U.S. corn crop estimate and lowered its soybean crop estimate on a yield of 50.9 bushels per acre. Flooding and excessive rains across eastern Australia have resulted in extensive damage to the wheat crop there. At yesterday's Fed meeting, Fed Chair Jerome Powell noted, quote, The world's not going to be better off if we fail to get inflation under control. Families across the United States are facing higher costs and fewer options for school meals. China updated its list of approved Brazilian corn exporters to include as many as 136 facilities. And the Indonesian government is testing B40. News of note is taken from the pages of Pro Farmer. Get more at tryprofarmer.com. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. The truth is hard to come by these days, unless you listen to AgriTalk. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip. Glad that you are with us this afternoon. We are in the middle of a conversation with Andrew Jackson from Producers Hedge. 
Before we get back to Andrew Davis, let's go ahead and recap where the market's closed. Well, Chip, December HRW wheat futures were a penny higher today, 941 and one quarter. December soft red wheat off five and a half cents, 840 and one half. December corn futures eight and one quarter cents lower, 679 and one quarter. July corn futures closed at 679 and one half down, seven and one quarter. January soybean futures were 17 cents lower today, 1437. July soybeans closed at 1454. That's down 17 and three quarters. December cotton, 400 points higher, 83 cents. Livestocks, December fats, 55 cents higher, 151.95. January feeders, down 57 and one half, 179.42 and a half. And December lean hogs were all of seven and one half cents higher at 83.37 and one half. Chip, that's your quick market recap. Now back to you. All right. Thank you very much, Davis. Andrew Jackson, Producers Hedge, is our guest analyst today. Andrew, we've got to stay with commercial corn here for a little bit because I don't want to blur any lines as we're talking about uh, marketing strategies. On the commercial corn, given everything that we've talked about with basis and some of the the, the what's what's happening with with uh, in the cash market, what kind of a strategy do you like right now when it comes to marketing corn? Okay, so you're talking about like from an elevator standpoint, or are you talking about from the farmer standpoint? From the farmer. You, I'm sorry, you're just talking about. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, yep, understood. So you know, especially as we're looking into 23, uh, I really like the idea of. of just playing this thing close to your vest, not uh, not getting overly fancy. Uh, nothing wrong with doing cash sales. Now, if you know the basis is, is historically weak or, you know, if you're used to seeing a, an even type number 10 over during harvest and, you know, you're seeing 30, 40 under today, I mean, wait on the basis. Do an HTA. That's fine. But okay. one thing I don't encourage anyone to do is, is to get crazy with sales without buying inputs or to get crazy buying inputs and, and, and not making sales against it. Uh, just because we've seen what what can happen over the last year. So I just don't think it's a year uh, where you want to uh, take on a lot of risk. Um, as far as the old crop here, um, if there's if there's money in it, you just make incremental sales. Let's not complicate this. Sell the uh, you know sell the appropriate time slot. If you can hold it and there's carry in the market, of course, sell that carry if it makes sense. Excellent. Excellent. Um, one other thing. You, you were talking about the popularity of the bags. Uh, mm -hmm. the storage bags, temporary storage, and even some ground piles. It, what's the attitude among producers down there as far as making a longer-term investment and maybe some permanent storage to, to, give, to give them some, some additional marketing flexibility? Well, I think a lot of people love to uh, make more investments. The problem is the lead time on that on those type of things has been has been uh, pretty pretty yeah. big. Uh, just just waiting on waiting on uh, parts, motors, bearing, you know, whatever. I mean, chips. Uh, I mean, whatever it takes uh, to make things go. It, it's been tough. I mean, you're talking about you know a year lead time in a lot of cases. So. Uh, in the western part of the state, the grain infrastructure is a little more developed uh, because it's it's an older industry. Here in the eastern and central part of the state, it's it's a it's a much more uh, it's a much younger industry, uh, and so the infrastructure isn't here. So that's kind of if, if I'm in the eastern central part of the state and I can only hold a small percentage of my crop or I have no storage, definitely want to be able to I, I want to fix that. I want to address that. Um, and if I, if I can create drying capacity, you know, that's something I want to do because if you had to ship 17, 18% corn this fall, um, 
you've got no choice but to take it to the river at a buck fifty under. Uh, but you can't ship it to a feed mill at eighteen percent. There's a difference between wet corn and dry corn. We, we think of them as the same commodity, but they are two different commodities. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, uh, talk to me about the specialty markets that you that that you are dealing with uh, down there, working with. So specialty markets have, uh, we, we've gotten real used to seeing non-GMO bids, non-GMO yellow corn bids, for example, uh, you know, at 25, 30 cents. And that's tradi- that's just been a, a pretty solid, stable premium uh, to the cash bid that we've seen for a long time. Of course, the distillery uh, the industry is using more and more of it. Their demand doesn't seem to be flinching. Um, and there's been lots of opportunities to open up on the international stage with exports because of, because of Ukraine. Um, so the demand has been really good, has been really good this year. When prices go higher for just generic commodity corn, uh, typically you see growers tend to shift away from the specialties because people grow specialties in a lot of cases because they're grasping for premiums. So when corn is three fifty, four bucks, you know, a 30 cent premium sounds really nice, uh, to add on top of a flat price. When corn is six bucks, seven bucks, 30 cents, you know, when you start talking about potential yield drag, uh, you know, segregation, you know, those type things, uh, the aggravation, the headache dealing with, yeah, you know, the extra work. calls, different yeah. destinations. Yeah. It's a lot of extra work, right? Yeah. Uh, so it takes a larger premium. So if the buyers aren't aggressive early, remember seed decisions need to be made in November, October, November, the, the, the year before you plant, um, those buyers find themselves short, you know, 18 months later and wind up having to blow their brains out, so to speak for it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of what we're seeing right now is, you know, not, not great planning, uh, forward planning, you know, a year, 18 months out. And so premiums for, you know, non-GMO for white for non-GMO soybeans have been just really on fire for you know, lack of better terms. Wow. Um, where, where are those non-GMO products going? So a lot of the non-GMO corn uh, is going to uh, is going to distilleries, uh, local distilleries here uh, in Central Kentucky. Now, of course, there is always the export market uh, to the river, uh, and most of the most of the non-GMO or a good chunk of the non-GMO yellow corn, uh, you know, white corn, whether it's generic or non-GMO, and then non-GMO soybeans are, are going to export. Okay. And that's all containerized stuff going down the river? No, mostly barge. Really? Okay. Barge to the Gulf. Yep. Okay. Yep. Now, there is Very some container cool. business, but uh, you know, mo- the vast majority is barge. Okay. You, you you mentioned that Ukraine has opened up, has, has potentially opened up some non-GMO export opportunities. Did I hear that right? Explain that. Yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're, well, they're a big producer of non-GMO grain. So, uh, you know, other other countries, you know, whether it's you know, in the EU or whatever, they, they may be used to, you know, sourcing their non-GMO grain from Ukraine, but they need, like, no different than an end user in Kentucky that's worried about a short crop. The end user abroad is worried about not being able to get their specific product out of, uh, out of, out of the Black Sea. Okay. Interesting. Um, we've got the crop production. We've got the supply and demand report coming up next week on Wednesday. What are your thoughts going into it? Well, I, I do my best to try to uh, try not to outguess the USDA, but um, you know I, I do. I'm, I'm kind of interested to see what's going to happen with exports here. You know, or will the USDA punt? Will we not? Will it be kind of a you know nothing report? You know, here for for November, I don't know. Uh, 
but I do think that, uh, I mean, exports shipments are, are because of the logistics on the river and us being the highest priced corn in the world specifically. Um, I think there's a good chance that we continue to drag and I'm interested to see if, uh, if the USDA is going to, you know, incorporate that into their estimates. Okay. So you're focused on the demand side. We're going to get some supply side updates out of South America. I, I would guess mm-hmm. that you're you're keeping an eye on what's going on down there as well. Yeah, I just don't know if we've got enough. Uh, I don't know uh, mm-hmm. if, if we've got enough info to really uh, to, to sway very far from the trade, you know, from trade estimates here. I mean, are we going to? Uh, I mean, are, how far are we into the planting season? I mean, it's still really early, and, and not a lot of not a lot of uh, uh, major issues, so to speak. So I expect it to be quiet on that front. But again, it's hard to guess the USDA. Right, right. I get, yeah, I get that. the The trend in the corn yield, the national average corn yield, has been to the downside. Do you think that continues, or is there potential that it reverses? Uh. Like I said, I'm I'm surprised here in Kentucky. This is backyarditis, right? But I think yeah. we were pleasantly <laughs> surprised. So it's hard for me not to think uh, that maybe that maybe yield is at least stabilized. So it's I'm not sure that we're going to see a, a major move to the downside. I think it's going to be a small change either way. Uh, I mean, okay. a small uh, you know less less than a bushel either way would not surprise me. Okay. All right. Very good. Talking about 23, and and you talked a little bit about the marketing, and don't do inputs if you're not going to make some sales. Don't make sales if you're not going to do some inputs. I agree uh, completely. The cost of inputs for next year, is that having much of an influence at all on what producers are deciding to do for next year? Yeah, I think it's got some wheels turning anyway. Uh, I mean, you know, I think it's definitely – there are some people worried about getting, you know, quotes on anhydrous, and uh, but you know, you look at the board, and I mean, in the last couple of days, you could have sold fourteen, fourteen dollar no twenty three hedge. So, you know, if you can sell fourteen dollar beans or, or dang near it, uh, do you really want to take the chance? Now that said, I think I still think that corn has the most upside uh, in the budget, but you know, I think there are a lot of producers that will say, you know, to heck with it, we're gonna we're gonna plant more beans. Yeah. You know, the, the, the revenue potential that we're looking at for next year, you got to balance, as we've talked about, you got to balance it against what it's going to cost you, but boy, it's hard to turn down that revenue potential from the corn. That's that six and a quarter futures is offering, isn't it? Yeah. And you know, what's going to be really interesting to see what interest rates, you know, have, you know, how many producers are, I mean, there are a lot of producers now who are, I mean, I think overall, and I don't think this is controversial. I don't, uh, that the the producers in better shape than they've been in a long time. And there's no shame in saying that. So, you know, how many producers out there are able to, uh, are are going to have to borrow, uh, you know, I guess borrowing is, is, is a big concern with interest rates going six, seven, eight percent. So, you know, if, if, if borrowing is a problem, you know, that could lend itself to more beans. But there are so many producers that are, you know, that are in good shape right now. Shape. It's not going to affect some of them near as much as it would have in the past. Andrew, it's always a great conversation. Thank you, my friend. All right. Thank you, guys. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. 
The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. AgriTalk is brought to you by the Conservation at Work video series. Farmer to Farmer, the Conservation at Work video series features real stories, real successes, real quick. See what's possible at farmers.gov slash conservation. Welcome back to AgriTalk, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. We're glad to have you along. Davis Michelson here, Chip Flory as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We spoke with Andrew Jackson of we did. Producers Hedge. Um, some very interesting local features that he's dealing with. He's out uh, Kentucky, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, he he highlighted kind of some some local stuff and was quick to point out. Now this is you know we're, when we're talking basis or whatever. This is this is a local kind of thing. But he he said something and maybe we can start here. That I've heard a few other people say in recent weeks, okay. a couple of your inputs purchases with your corn sales or your yeah. corn sales with your inputs purchases. And this just makes a ton of sense to me, and I know it does to you as well. Yes, it does. Absolutely. It's it's uh, This is really all about risk management 101. I want to go back to, man, it might have been – a Labor Day conversation with Chris Barron yeah, that from Eggview right. Solutions. I think yep. that's right. Where he just flat out said, "Listen, if you're gonna if you're gonna write a check for fifty thousand dollars for inputs on your 2023 corn crop, forward price fifty thousand dollars worth of your 2023 yeah. corn crop to pay, to pay for it." Yep. And you know it made all the sense in the world then, and I think it makes all the sense in the world now. I remember marketing opportunities, Davis. This was probably 2000, 2000 it, it may have been 2008. Yes, I believe it was. In the fall of 2008, we were still looking at a pretty doggone good market. Um, input prices, you know, it, in the fall of 2008 just went crazy on us. Mm-hmm. And, but, but you could still cover 100% of your expected 2009 production costs by selling X percent of expected production of, of your APH. And and I want to say that that was something like 55 to 60% of your APH. You could cover your input costs. To me, that was just such a no-brainer. Yeah, You know, you well, just... You you cover your costs and then you manage your risk, your opportunity after that. And also what that does that we talk about a little bit less is 
is to sort of help you lock in and understand what you're... You take the variable out of your variable costs. Well, yeah, but what, what if fertilizer goes down? Well, okay, then... Let it go down because that, I'm locked in at the X price. Yeah, let's hope this yeah. is the worst decision we've made all year. And, yep. you know, we've got it protected. We know what we're dealing with. We can get our hands around this, and we don't have to go to bed at night thinking, man, corn's in a yeah. downturn. I might have missed the boat. Ah, right. come on, you know? Mm-hmm. It, you know, kind of the same for a livestock producer. No. Nope. Uh, what, what's wrong with covering your feed costs out six months so that you know exactly what you are going to be dealing with on the cost for the next six months? And when one month rolls off, throw another month on. Just you know, keep doing that. Therefore, you know what your costs are, so you can manage your gross revenue and and whether or not it need, the margin needs to be hedged or not. Because then you get down to man. As I just said, you get down to managing margins rather than you know the confusion of Jesus. That this a good price or not? Yeah. Well. And the other thing is, there's a certain certain point, perhaps a certain percentage of the individual grain producer's production. If you just got to play Kenny Rogers with some of your crop, mm-hmm. there's a slice of that you can do that with. Mm-hmm. But you would probably recommend, let's make sure that we've got our costs covered. We, oh, yes. we can get Mama a new pair of shoes. We're covered. Okay. Yep. Cost now management we can, and everything. Now we can wait for the moonshot. You know, the limit up in corn three days in a row or whatever it is that you're looking for to, <laughs> right. to bust those and, bin doors open. You but, can do but that. Here's the, he, and and you can do that with a price floor still in place with some sort of oh. a uh, of an option strategy that's got a an established and known risk to it. Mm-hmm. Boy, mm-hmm. and then just then just let it happen. Let it happen. Um. Andrew also said, I thought this was interesting, it's been a dead market at high levels. Yeah. Feels like we're being lulled to sleep. Can you elucidate that a little bit? Well, when it comes to demand and the impact of price on demand, we've said it for so many times. So many times. I mean, you either spike prices to an, a, a price level that the end users just find completely unacceptable and it kills demand immediately. Or you hold high, you hold prices high enough for a long enough period of time. I think what he's saying is we may be holding prices high enough for a long enough period of time that let's watch the demand side of that balance sheet when we get the update next week. That mm-hmm. That's exactly where he went to first was what are they going to do on the export side of things? Have we held prices high enough for a long enough period of time to take a bite out of demand there? He alluded to something that I've heard you talk about, and I'm going to butcher it, so I'm going to give you plenty of time to straighten me out here. <laughs> when you when you make a good decision, you make a ton of money and buy a new pickup truck, you're embarrassed to drive it to town. When you are you can't afford to buy a new truck this year, you're embarrassed to drive it to town. It's okay to say farmers are doing all right, but you just got to manage it. Chip? Yep, and the timing of this is exactly spot on because it's as it relates to the general economy because so many times mm-hmm. when the general economy is turning down the farm economy is up when the when the general economy is up the farm economy is down therefore when the general economy is down and you've got that brand new pickup truck you're embarrassed to drive it to town when the general economy is up you're still driving that old pickup truck and you're embarrassed to go to town 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's a fickle uh, a, biz. Uh, yeah, a lot of it involved there. Get this in in the playoffs in 2003. Yeah. The playoffs in 2003, Dusty Baker ran Mark Pryor out to the mound in his first playoff game and he threw 133 pitches. In the second playoff, yeah, that's mm-hmm. a huge number. In the mm-hmm. second game, they were up 11 nothing after 5 innings and he left him in for 116 games. 116 pitches. In the third game that Pryor threw, he was so dang tired that some people still blame that loss on Steve Bartman. Don't blame Cubs, Steve for the loss. Cubs fans know what I'm talking about. Free for all tomorrow morning. Weissmeyer Haney, Michael Smith.